0: drying eggplant in the sun, a dish you have to get up at 5 a.m. to enjoy, and hacking through the underbrush to find ancient ruins. This week, we're in Antioch, Turkey. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. On each episode, we travel to a different place for the cuisine that makes it special. And this week, we are in Turkey, in the ancient city of Antioch, or as we English speakers know it, Antioch. My guest is Benoit Anke. Benoit, he's originally from Belgium, and he makes his home now in Istanbul. Benoit is an archaeologist and a foodie tour guide, and he recently returned from an archaeological expedition to Salacia, where he searched for relics dating as far back as 300 BCE. Benoit tells me about working his way through the bush to find ancient churches and Roman ruins, and we talk about the perfect Turkish snack— for such a grueling trip. Benoit also tells me about Antioch and its rich culinary heritage. We talk about the local pomegranate molasses, salty yogurt, pepper paste, and drying eggplant in the sun. Plus, we head to Antep, Turkey, a city known for baklava. If that sounds like a lot of ground to cover, it is. So let's eat. Destination Eat, drink. Benoit, great to have you on Destination Eat Drink. You just returned from a place called uh, Cilicia on an archaeological expedition. For our listeners, give us an idea of where in Turkey Cilicia is and why it's important when it comes to archaeology.
1: So this is uh, the area between Adana or Iskenderun, Iskanderie, uh, a city founded by Alexander, uh, Adana is the largest city of the region and uh, on the west Alanya and Antalya. So this is this area a very mountainous area. Uh which the uh, also part of the area is very rich uh because of the uh, huge alluvial uh, plain uh which is now a place where most of turkish cottons is uh, is grown. Um And uh, it's irrigated by two important rivers, and it goes into the Mediterranean through a delta. So you have this part of Cilicia, which was the uh, flat Cilicia. Um, And then we have another part of Cilicia, which is called, used to be called rough Cilicia, which is a very uh, rugged area with a lot of rocks and stones, uh, very deep canyons um running uh, perpendicular to the mediterranean, mediterranean Sea and some harbors but uh, was very different difficult for the romans to conquer this part of um of the mediterranean uh, because uh, it was um one of the um paradise of the pirates and the pirates gave a, a tough time to the romans uh, they even went as far as um slandering the harbour of Rome, Ostia. So it took maybe a few centuries for the Romans to uh, really, um, let's say, control the area. Uh, And they needed uh, a lot of soldiers also to maintain law and and order in in that part of, of the empire
0: pirates taking over the romans that's really cool
1: <laughs> yes so
0: yes. is this what the archaeological dig that you were working on uh, was it was it roman ruins was it some other kind of ruins that you were looking for what was your job there so
1: we were looking well we were looking for all type of periods but what we encounter mostly are hellenistic means between uh, alexander the great so i mean the, the 3rd century uh, bc uh, down to uh, late Roman and Byzantine era, so between the third century BC and let's say the seventh century AD. Uh, so it's quite a long period.
0: Yeah, a thousand years.
1: This area is uh, unknown by the tourists, hardly, any, t- and even by the locals. Uh, and the sites are difficult to reach. Not all the- all of them, and each village as a very interesting site uh, to discover. So it's like an open-air museum, mm, cool. um, uh, totally overlooked. There's very little sources about the era, but it was uh, very interesting because at some point in the late Roman and Byzantine era, it became very rich because um, first uh, a lot of soldiers um were sent to that part of Turkey and of, of uh, what what is today Turkey, of course, Uh, that part of the Mediterranean, let's say. Uh, And those soldiers would settle and would consume. So they would also do uh, a lot of uh, purchasing uh, and that uh, helped the the area to develop. Uh, So for different reasons, and also they had uh, olive oil, a lot of uh, olive trees in that area. So those would be sold and in exchange of the oli- olive oil they would could receive cash money that's very important for the development of uh, of a region and also wine mm. and the third uh, asset of that country were the famous cedar the cedar tree the oh. cedar tree that were used in the fleet of mark antony and cleopatra
0: olive trees i have to imagine benoît that there's still a lot of olive trees in the area and olive oil production is that right
1: yes Yes, exactly, exactly. So especially in the area a little bit south uh, that we are going to talk about, the area of Antakya, which was also a very important city. Antioch, more civilized probably than uh, its Silesian uh, neighbor. Um, and uh, Antakya has a very old history. It used to be the third um, largest city of the Roman Empire in the um, in the second century ad uh later it was under crusaders rule uh then Byz- byzantine rules uh a very short time it was under french mandate also uh under the Memluk, the uh on on uh, arab rule for quite a long time and then ottoman uh and now it's part of turkey since 1938 so it joined turkey very late uh that's why Antakya is quite different from the rest of Turkey.
0: Now, I want to, I have a lot of questions for you about Antakya, but I want to go back one second to um, Cilicia, because yes. you described this archaeological area as rather remote. And yes. when I think in my head about going on an archaeological dig, this is exactly what I think about is somewhere that is away from people, remote, maybe a little dusty, a little rocky, and you're out there digging. You're there for weeks at a time. What is your life like when you are there? What is what is housing like? Where do you sleep? What is food yes. like? How how do you do this on a day-to-day basis? This is very interesting to me.
1: So, rough Silesia is quite different from low Silesia. No, food is not as varied as in low Silesia. Uh, one of the most uh, common dish there is tantuni and pide. So you don't have the, the rich, uh, varieties you find in the flat Cilicia. So in around Adana, around the big cities there, because of course, uh, it's a poorer country. Uh, although it was probably quite wealthy in the fourth and fifth century AD. Um, but so there's not many hotels because this area hasn't been discovered. Uh, so usually you have to stay in one of the hotels on the coast, you not know, by the water, close to the water. And so every day we would uh, leave uh, the hotel, or it was rather a guest house, early in the morning, uh, and then uh, try and find those places. We had some ideas, we had some names, we had some photograph, but we didn't know exactly where they were. So you first have to ask the people around you uh, in the villages, because uh, even the people in another villages they might not know where those places are. So and you have to and you have to to earn their trust because sometimes they don't want you to discover those places. Uh, Sometimes you get information from uh, treasure hunters who thinks that you know something, so they give you a bit of information, hoping (laughs) that you will have them. Yes, yes. Uh, treasure hunting is a problem there because uh, those places are not well guarded. Uh, So uh, the people in the village, they all hope, because they're quite poor, they all hope uh, making a fortune, uh, discovering a treasure. Um, And then you have to walk and uh, go through the bush. The bush is um, it's almost like the jungle, uh, but with very thick thorns so I lost one trousers <laughs> and uh a few hours before the end of our trip I fell on a rock but nothing grave I just had uh, four stitches that's all on oh. my uh, knees. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like this, yeah so it's quite uh, it's quite adventurous and a bit dangerous because but um, the panoramas uh, are so beautiful with high mountains uh, lots of canyons very deep canyons and most of the ancient cities were built on top of a hill or mountain, uh, usually um, dominated a canyon, a canyon just on top of the canyons to control the um, maybe the Romans who would come and attack the pirates from the coast.
0: <laughs> Always those pirates in uh, those yeah, pirates yes. of Silesia. So yeah. on this most recent trip, um, what were some of the interesting finds that you made?
1: Our first day was to try and find uh watching towers, uh either Hellenistic or Romans. Uh, so those watching towers uh, were built to defend either the coast from the interior or vice versa, the interior from the pirates from the coast. Um And those uh, towers um, would be you not know, 10 meters high or something like that, quite high, uh, but very difficult to reach because they are in the middle of what I would call the Silesian jungle <laughs> um, another day would be to visit uh, to try and find uh, the, the villas of the landlords uh, of the rich estate of the of the region uh, those who would cultivate uh, mainly olive oils and vines uh, that was also very interesting um, then you have the churches uh, uh, very pretty churches, especially this area blooms um, around the, the end of the late antiquities just before the Arab invasions and then uh, suddenly disappears you know so that it's a short uh, but uh, with a lot of churches and the reason why one of the reason why there are so many churches is um, because of one decision of uh, Theodosius, which was a, a Roman emperor of the late Roman Empire when uh, the Roman Empire was Christian, uh, to exempt uh, villages or towns from taxes if they would build churches. So sometimes in some uh, settlements you have like three churches.
0: As a tax, as a tax avoidance scheme.
1: Yes, yes. So <laughs> there is an inflation of churches in in, in the villages, especially of the fifth and sixth centuries. Uh, ad. how how
0: well preserved are these churches that you're coming across i mean they've been sitting idle for centuries they must be in a yeah, yeah. Uh, in a rather state of disrepair
1: yes so you you have um the walls of course you recognize a church usually because of the uh uh, uh half round uh hemicycle so of the um uh, of the apse, because of when you see a uh, half circle it means there was an apse. so it Usually, it's a, it means that it was a church before. So, those apps usually are still there together with the walls. And if you are lucky, they're still part of the dome, which is, uh, and the dome are uh, quite incredible because uh, they've been made of big uh, uh, stones. Not of bricks or, or, or light materials, but big stones. So, you have domes made with stones, which is something very special. And I don't think you can see that in many parts of the ex-Roman empire. Yeah. Wow.
0: Amazing. And well, I, I would imagine that none of the artwork, the frescoes or whatnot, none of that remains.
1: Well, uh, what remains, uh, because this uh, it's difficult, time won't destroy them, or very difficult to do, to do uh, is the tombs. Mm. So the tombs are often carved on a cliff, in a place which is almost unreachable or very difficult to reach, but which has to be able to be seen uh, from far away. So those tombs are well preserved. So you can see, for example, a Roman uh, um, landlords sitting on his couch and with his servants. And uh, there is one of them, which is quite interesting. It's uh, a Roman soldier. Uh, who is living his wife and uh, uh, and child and also his dog, uh, so it's very emotional, full right. of emotion, yeah, and yeah. it's it's uh, carved. So it's a relief carved into the rock, into the sheer rock, and you have a lot of them uh, in uh, Rapsilicia from the Hellenistic and the Roman Iran.
0: Benoit, let's go to Antioch. In English, we know it as Antioch, and yes. this is a super cool place because you describe it as as kind of removed from Turkey because it's separated from the rest of the country by mountains, then it's surrounded by water, but it's also an yes. extraordinarily important place in history. Give us yes. a little background before we talk about the food. Give me a little background on uh, Antioch and uh, where this place was, why it was important.
1: So Antioch is in the middle of a very fertile plain. Uh, today it's called the Amit plain uh, today um, there's no harbour in Antioch but it's close to the sea uh, and Antioch had its own harbour which is like 20-30 uh, kilometres from uh, Antioch itself but there's a river between the harbour and the city of Antioch which probably was navigable it's not navigable anymore today but it was navigable so it may and it was uh, one of the arrival point, let's say, of the Silk Road, or what we could call the Silk Road. So international trade, very important for international trade. Uh, because we are close to the sea, we are uh, at the end of, let's say, the, the Levant and uh, Mesopotamia, so uh, just by the Mediterranean, close, very close by the Mediterranean. So it's a strategic area. And I think also the fact that it's uh, very fertile, uh made it an important city. That's why it was chosen as uh, as a capital in several times in history. And it was also important before the Romans in the time of Alexander the Great and in the time of uh, Hellenistic time. Uh, and um, it's it's a little bit uh, geographically a part of Syria, uh geographically. Um and the culture is in between uh, Syria, Lebanon, and Turkey. So it's a good mixture of uh, Arabic, um, uh, Levant, Levant, uh, from the culture of the Levant. I mean, culture of Leba- Lebanon, Jordan, uh, today Israel, Palestine, this, and uh, 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 Turkish um, culture.
0: I find that places that have this mixture of cultures end up having extremely diverse cuisine. So let's yes. let's talk about some of the dishes that you can get. I mean, when we're in Turkey, we know that we're going to get um, eggplant and meza and things like this, but uh, Antioch maybe is a little bit different, a little bit more diverse. Tell me, uh, tell me a few of your favorites when you're in Antioch, what kinds of things that you might see on the table.
1: So um, a lot of dishes have some Arabic influence. Or uh, dishes you could find uh, in uh, Syria and Lebanon, like hummus. So uh, the rest of Turkey is not uh, well. You find hummus all around Turkey, but you—it's not uh, in their blood. But uh, the difference in Antakya is hummus. It's really in their blood. You can you can buy hummus by the kilos, ah, and there are good. tens of or hundreds of places uh, producing hummus. In, uh, in Antakya, and it's quite difficult to find the best one.
0: (laughs) Keep trying.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because that's also good. So, uh, yeah. So hummus is a big thing in, in Antakya, uh, which, as I say, is not the case in the rest of Turkey. Uh, muhammara, for example, this type of mezes, um, you know, with nuts and, uh, Uh, pepper paste, because this is a very uh, fertile and hot country. So they have a good quality of pepper and tomato paste. And that's very important in uh, uh, the cuisine of the region. Uh, Not only in that region, but also in the rest of Turkey. So when you start something, you start a stew. uh, um, So you usually would um, add some um, diluted tomato uh, paste, but tomato is a bit sweet, so you would add a sort of more spicy and uh, pepper paste uh, to combine.
0: Mm. Good, good combination.
1: So usually, uh, when uh, in Istanbul, uh, we want to have a good quality of pepper paste tomato paste, we would order it from those regions, either from Antakya or from uh, Gaziantep, from Antep. Those are the two uh, most interesting places for this type of products.
0: This pepper paste is interesting to me because it sounds like it's almost used as a condiment. Uh, would you see it on the side of a plate and you would dip into it or is it used strictly for cooking? How, how do you uh, use both. pepper paste and, and what kind of dishes would you see it in, Benoit?
1: So pepper paste, as I said, uh, could be used uh, in general cuisine. Uh, for example, if you make dolmas, if you make uh, uh, stuffed um, uh, vegetables, uh, but also you could mix it with something uh, like uh, walnuts uh, to make it as a starter and more spices.
0: Walnuts are very popular in uh in this part of turkey yes do, yes
1: yes do you eat- as well as in georgia as well as in georgia so uh, so walnuts is quite important in all that area
0: yeah Georgia is not far away from uh from this part of no, turkey no no
1: um, yeah and we, you would make a, a a trade mix you know mix a uh, different type of dry nuts for example in general in turkey i would say um so pistachio uh walnuts uh chickpeas um, And then some um, walnuts, chickpeas, uh, and hazelnuts. This would be the perfect snack. And and some resins, some resins. (laughs) Yeah, some
0: sweetness in there too. This, uh, Benoit, this would be your perfect snack when you're hacking through the underbrush of Silesia on your way to an ancient church. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Other products important are pomegranates, um, Ah, uh, sour molasses. Ah, pomegranate also, molasses. Yeah, cool. That, that's also one of the speciality of Antakya. And usually I would buy it from there.
0: Do you buy it in a jar? Or how does it come?
1: Yes, you buy it in a jar. But for one liter of um, pomegranate uh, molasses, you need like uh, 15 kilos. Mm. And so the if you do that in, in Europe, it would cost a lot of <laughs> money. It would be very expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas, uh, there is the country of, um, in general, in South Turkey or Southeast Turkey. Find lots of pomegranates. Um, so this is one of the most important products I would buy from uh, Antakya. Then there is another interesting product that few people know. It's the it's a sort of sour yogurt. They call it salty yogurt. Salty
0: yogurt. Okay.
1: Yeah. So uh, they use uh, strained yogurt and. Uh, then they have it reduced, cooked uh, on a low fire for a long time, and uh, also salt is added. And when it becomes sort of solid or uh, fairly solid, uh, it's ready. And you you, you would use it um, as either as a starter or with bread to dip some bread in it uh, for breakfast. Uh, different, and this is you can only find that in that area of Turkey, salty yogurt.
0: For breakfast. So first. it's a
1: thick type of yogurt.
0: I like it. One other uh, vegetable I want to ask you about, Benoit, is eggplant because I yes. know eggplant is so important in Turkish cuisine. What kind of dishes yes. would we have when we go to Antioch? What kind of dishes would we have eggplant in?
1: So one of them is the the eggplants that you find that uh, are dried uh, in, the, in, in the air uh, outside, are dried outside. So they hollow the eggplants out. They take out the inner part of it, um, and then uh, they uh, place it on a on a rope. On a what would you say? And then dry it one by one.
0: Interesting. I never heard of this before. This sounds fascinating.
1: Yes. So do yeah.
0: you, you just eat it as a snack? You just chew on a dried eggplant? No,
1: then, then, well, uh, in the summer, during uh, during the season, when you have um, uh, eggplants are fresh, so you just hollow them out and you stuff it. Uh, there's two ways for preparing them. It, you find that also in other parts of Turkey. Uh, one of them would be without meat, so um, with rice and different uh, spices and some uh, pine nuts uh, and some resins. So this would be the, uh, the fake one, the fake uh, dolma. Dolma in Turkish means to stuff. So in English uh, would be stuffed eggplants. Uh, and then the other one would be mixed rice and uh, a lot of uh, grated onions and uh, minced meat, ground meat. Uh, so this is the stuffing of those that you would use in those eggplants. Uh, so in the summer, in the season, you would eat them fresh. In the winter, you would eat, you would use the one who have been dried in the summer. Okay. So the eggplants would have been dried on a, on a rope. Um, they had been, drow- um, hollowed out already. Then you have to, um, um, leave them in hot water for a while or boil them for a short while so that they soften. And then you stuff them with the ingredients uh, you want to use.
0: This is ingenious because now you can have eggplant year-round. You don't have to wait for that
1: eggplant harvest when it
0: all comes in at once.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of preparation in Turkish cuisine. So at the end of the, especially in the summer, there's a lot of things to do uh, because you have to prepare uh, your pickles, you have to prepare your dried tomatoes, You dried eggplants. You have to prepare the grape, uh, the, the different molasses and the sour molasses you're going to use in salad, your vinegar. Uh, so all this has to be uh, prepared in the summer so that in the winter you'd have something to eat. Right. And not only meat, <laughs> also vegetables.
0: Yeah. This reminds me of when we had our little hobby farm and, Uh, In August, every year in August, I would spend weeks preparing uh, tomatoes, prepping tomatoes, canning tomatoes, freezing tomatoes. Exactly. So that
1: I could open a jar
0: in January (laughs) and enjoy it.
1: Exactly. That's what everyone does in Turkey, Uh, not only in Antakya, but in Turkey in general. And I do it also at home. Um, And uh, so because the prices of tomatoes uh, is uh, one third or one tenth of the price in the summer than it is in the winter Mm. and they have much better taste so that's why um, everybody or many people in Turkey uh, do that. They can the tomatoes uh, in the season.
0: You've been all over this region of southern Turkey and we've been in Antakya and we've been in Silesia. What is uh, one other place that you might tell folks is a good place for enjoying Turkish cuisine?
1: Antep is the Mecca of Turkish foodies, Antep. Oh, Antep is a short name. Uh, the actual official name is Gaziantep, but everyone in Turkey say Antep. Uh, so Antep is the capital of baklava. So because the baklava is a dish, which is a mixture, probably a mixture of different cultures uh, between Arabic and Turkish culture, because Turkish Tradition, uh, and Turkish, in Turkish culture, there's this thing of doing very thin, uh, phyllo dough, very old tradition coming from Central Asia. And in Arabic culture, they know how to use sugar and to, um, to use sugar with biscuits and uh, bread-like products. So it's uh, this and also using, uh, clarified butter. So all those two cultures, they merge in Gaziantep because Gaziantep is quite close to Syria. Uh, so it's uh, maybe 100 kilometers from Aleppo. Halef, mm. uh, uh, so it has a bit of that uh, Arabic culture uh, mixed with Turkish culture. Also, there's probably Armenian culture also into that. So it makes a, a good mix. Uh, and uh, in Antep, you can find really good uh, vegetable products and also like in Antakya and vegetable dishes. Uh, also very famous for its uh, kebab and for its baklava and, and, and so on and so on.
0: Baklava, vegetables and kebab. I don't think you can do yes. much better than that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, uh, for example, in, uh, Antep, uh, there is a famous place. Uh, you have to get up like at four or five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, uh, it's a place where they made, uh, uh, liver kebab, liver kebab. Oh, and you have that for breakfast. Oh, sometimes they mix different type of kebab. They call that chartak kebab. So you you could have uh, liver keb- uh, liver, but you could also have uh, spleen, uh, different sort of spare parts, uh, which are mixed together. And this is a breakfast dish in Antep, and people go there until seven in the morning. So between five and seven or seven thirty. Uh, After 7.30, the owner closed down his shop and everyone goes back home. So there, uh, if you go there at six o'clock, you meet people who've been boozing or people who came from the, from the mosque.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Both the whole, the whole variety of people will be. uh...
1: People, yes. They, they meet there at the, at the uh, liver kebab place. Uh, So there's one uh, specifically famous near the ancient castle, the city center of Gaziantep.
0: Before we let you go, Benoit, what would we have as a drink to accompany this kebab? Would we have tea? Would we have Turkish coffee? What would we enjoy with it?
1: Hmm. Well, uh, so we have different traditions. So there's a non-alcoholic tradition. Then you would usually have Iran, often Iran with kebab. Iran is uh, um, strain yogurt. Uh, which is, uh, mixed, uh, with a bit of water and salt. So it's a way of, uh, using, uh, the, the milk and the yogurt so that it, you could keep it for a lo- uh, longer time. So it's one of the most popular drink in Turkey. And, uh, then there are other type of restaurants. We call that ojak bashe, uh, we- which means in front of the, of the grill, ojak, or in front of the, the hearth, um, which are a little, little bit like the Japanese teppanyaki. So you sit around uh, a grill, and uh, there is a master. We call them usta, who prepares the 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 meat uh, for you, the the barbecues for you, and then uh, usually those places, um, those um, dishes are accompanied with raki, which is the national alcoholic drink in Turkey. And and this tradition of ojagbaşı. Uh, So in front of the grill uh, has become very popular in Istanbul, although it's not uh, born, was not born in Istanbul, but born in Adana, which is another uh, kebab capital.
0: Well, the great thing about Istanbul is it's such a cosmopolitan city. It's an international city. So you can draw, you know, much like big cities in the U.S., you can draw from all of these different cultures and cuisines. Exactly. This has just been such a great conversation because I think what we're doing here is we're encouraging people to, yes, go to Istanbul and enjoy that. And uh, I've done an episode on Istanbul before, but get out of Istanbul and enjoy some of these other places that have such a rich culinary heritage. And I want to thank you, Benoit, for being on the show today and encouraging us to see some of these other parts of the great country of Turkey.
1: Thank you. So go uh, away from the beaten path, uh, because in the beaten path, you don't always have the best, uh, dishes. <laughs> and, and I don't like, know. Like, like Cappadocia, Antalya, this is not the, the heart of Turkish gastronomy. Turkish gastronomy, the heart is uh, beat somewhere else. In Istanbul, in Izmir, uh, in the, the western coast of Turkey on the agency and, and what I call the, um, crescent, the fertile crescent of gastronomy. So this area of South and Southeast Turkey.
0: And I don't think anyone has done a better job of getting off the beaten path, hacking through the jungle than you have, Benoit. So thanks for, uh, thank thanks for sharing it with us today.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Okay, there you go. Love talking to Benoit about archaeology and food. He's like a mashup of Indiana Jones and Emerald Lagassee. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, we are in Philadelphia for cheese steaks and tomato pie. Until then, my website is open for business at DestinationEatDrink.com. I've just posted a story about one of the most unique lighthouses in North America, the New London Ledge Lighthouse in Connecticut. That's on the blog. You can get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and eggplant dryer Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.